Episode 95, Exorcisms. This is a good topic to talk about right after yesterday's topic of sacramentals, both because certain sacramentals are used within the rite of exorcism, such as uh, blessed salt and holy water and crucifixes, but also because it re-emphasizes the fact that evil, just like good, can inhabit or accompany things and people. Just like we said with sacramentals, they can carry God's grace and blessing and protection. The same is true also for evil spirits, though, of course, all of them are subject to God's permission. And again, this isn't superstition. If it's true that good and evil spirits exist, which we believe, and that they can and do affect the physical world and are seeking to bring us either to holiness or damnation, and if, like we said yesterday, that God uses the physical in our sanctification, then sacramentals and exorcisms make sense. It's not superstitious. And most importantly, we believe these things are true because we see them in divine revelation. Jesus shows us that such things are true. He himself casts out evil spirits. That's why we believe that these things are real, not because we're ignorant or have some crude belief about nature and many gods like pagans did of old. So what is exorcism exactly? It's a casting out or driving out demons or evil spirits either from people who are possessed or places, objects that we say are not possessed because they're not animate objects, but infested. That is, that there's evil influence that accompany things. An exorcism can be done most properly on a person who is actually possessed by a demon, but also a rite of exorcism can be performed regarding a place or an object as well that might be infested by evil spirits. And it's important to note that the church takes a, I wouldn't say a skeptical, but a, a careful view of exorcisms. You know, people who are experiencing a uh, certain evil influence or struggling with serious sin might immediately assume that they need exorcism, but the church always seeks to dispel any other cause, the possibility of any other cause before moving to the rite of exorcism because it's a very solemn and serious rite. So if someone, say, has the experience of multiple personalities or feeling compelled to do something evil or some serious sin, the first and most important thing to do is to have recourse to the sacraments, to confession first and then to Holy Eucharist. Those are more effective than any other sacramental or any other rite, including the rite of exorcism, to both protect us from and to get rid of any evil influence. But if it is the case that through some willful acceptance or allowance of entry of an evil spirit into a person, then yes, that's when the rite of exorcism is used. But it's kind of used as, I wouldn't say as a last resort, but only when it is found that every other means of spiritual help has not been sufficient. I only say this to show that the church isn't credulous. That is, the church doesn't assume every instance or every claim of the miraculous or the demonic is true when, yes, some of them are, but some of them aren't. So it's important to determine the legitimacy of these serious spiritual events. Otherwise, her credibility is shot. The church's credibility is shot. And we do look like we are just credulous and ignorant, which is not the case. So the spiritual world is real. There are evil spirits and there are holy, blessed spirits. They can and do interact with the physical world, the natural world. We believe that as much about our guardian angels as we do about the evil spirits that are seeking to bring us to damnation. Though, of course, they have limited ability to affect us. For example, a, an evil spirit cannot command your will or cause you to sin, though it can put many temptations around you. But it can take possession of your will with your permission. And that's why dabbling in the occult or dealing with pagan or occult or new age practices is very dangerous because even though some may do it not realizing they are dealing with the evil part of the spiritual world, they are 
doing that by messing with these games. It's not like you need to actually speak the words of permission of an evil spirit to enter you. But if you are summoning these kind of vague, unnamed spirits, you are dealing with evil spirits. If you are seeking, for example, knowledge of the future or trying to summon the dead, things like that, just by doing those, you are giving permission. Your will is opened up to the power of evil spirits, which is why people can be possessed just by messing with something like a Ouija board or messing with uh, psychic or other occult practices. So you need to stay a million miles away from those things. A general rule is that if you're doing anything having to do with the spiritual world that doesn't explicitly name Jesus and the blessed angels and the saints, then you are dealing with the bad element of the spiritual world that is demons, evil spirits. And if you've ever been involved in something like that and haven't yet confessed it, it's important to go to confession and confess that sin because that can give you peace of mind that you have removed that sin and that evil influence that you may have invited into your life once and for all. You know, the sacraments are much more powerful, of course, than the demons. Of course, the most important evidence we have on the reality of demons and the ability to perform exorcism is in divine revelation. In the Gospels, especially, Jesus cast out demons. This happened uh, many times. One popular criticism by certain academics or scripture quote-unquote scholars is that, well, back in the day, they didn't know the difference between what they thought was uh, possession by evil spirits and just sickness, like seizures and stuff like that. They would just assume that they were possessed. Well, Setting aside the fact that you're calling Jesus ignorant, which is a blasphemous thing to say, there's even an explicit distinction and recognition of the distinction between the two in the Gospels, that, that casting out demons and healing the sick were different things. For example, Luke chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus says, I am casting out demons and performing cures. In Matthew 8, chapter 16, he cast out the spirits with his word and he healed all that were sick. Uh, there's a number of instances where it's very clear that the two are not being conflated that possession and healing were two different things in Jesus's public ministry. And also that he delegated the power of exorcism to his apostles. In Matthew 10, verse 1, Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. There again you see uh, the distinction between possession and curing the sick. In addition to that, we also see in the Gospels that evil spirits can inhabit things other than people, it's not just possession. You remember that when Jesus cured the demoniac, he cast out the legion of spirits into a herd of swine. So if someone thinks it's superstitious to believe that an evil spirit can inhabit something other than a person, you have divine revelation that corrects them on that. And I mentioned that Jesus delegated this power to his disciples. Someone might think, well, that, that was something special to the apostles, but not so. In the early church, we look at the church fathers and what they said and what they believed. You have someone uh, like Justin Martyr, in the year 160, saying, For we do continually beseech God by Jesus Christ to preserve us from the demons which are hostile to the worship of God and whom we have old times served. For we call him helper and redeemer, the power of whose name even the demons do fear. And at this day, when they are exercised in the name of Jesus Christ, crucified under Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, they are overcome. And thus it is manifest to all that his Father has given him so great power by virtue of which demons are subdued to his name and to the dispensation of his suffering. So here you see Justin Martyr saying that uh, we still cast out demons in the name of Jesus, right? We don't do it in our own name, but this power to cast out demons is really the power of Jesus's name. And when that name is wielded by his ministers, it has the same effect as when Christ did it in the Gospels. Uh, St. Justin Martyr said in another place, Christ said, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and all 
and on all the might of the enemy. And now we who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, when we exercise all demons and evil spirits, have them subjected to us. You see the same testimony in most fathers of the church made it clear that this delegation of exorcism to the apostles was not unique to them, but it's something that belongs to the church. For further reading on this topic, I'd recommend, first of all, the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. This just gives a general insight into how the devil works on us, you know, short of possession. The Screwtape Letters are more about getting an insight into the little things the devil does every day to get us to turn slowly away from God. If you want a better insight into the reality of full-on possession and documented cases of it, I'd recommend that you read the books of the late Father Gabriel Amorth, who was the chief exorcist of Rome, performed thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of exorcisms, and gives a lot of detail about what happens to bring someone to the state of possession, and also how evil influence can be attached to or inhabit things as well, homes and objects, that modern-day pagans who you know, have hexes and curses and all that stuff, that's not just something to be laughed at. That the devil's real and he enlists people to spread false religion and we're more and more surrounded by things that have the characteristics of false religion, new age stuff that seems just vaguely spiritual or even full-on Satanism and witchcraft. These things are to be taken seriously. We might be tempted to laugh at them because they seem superstitious and silly, but that doesn't change the fact that the evil one can influence us and cause us great harm through these things. That's why, again, it's really important to stay a million miles away from anything that even has the slightest hint of New Age or vague spirituality. Again, if something doesn't explicitly include the name of Jesus and invoke the triune God and mention the blessed angels and saints in heaven, blessed Virgin Mary, you stay a million miles away from it. It is something that will cause you great harm and can endanger your soul. I'll just conclude by saying it's also important not to be unduly anxious or fearful of the influence of the evil one. It's important to be aware of it, especially in the small ways that the evil one tries to tempt us, but also recognizing that the devil is still a creature. All the demons are still creatures. Jesus is not a creature. He has ultimate power over the evil one and has already won the victory over him. Playing out in history is just the devil trying to bring down as many people as possible before the final victory. And also remember that in every situation, God gives us the grace necessary to overcome sin and temptation. There is never a situation in which we are forced to sin or must sin or can't oppose sin. There's always grace available for us. So don't be unduly anxious or fearful of the influence of the evil one. Just be aware and always ask for the protection in the name of Christ against evil influences. And also don't be unduly curious about these things. We can start by having a good intention and just wanting to know more about it but then we can become fascinated by it and even eventually want to get to dabbling in these things. Uh, so learn what's necessary, but don't go any further down the rabbit hole wanting to learn more about the demonic. It can change from a curiosity into an obsession and eventually it can turn into something that harms you.